welcome to the Watershed Wellness Podcast. I am Eric, as always, your host. And today I am making up for a little bit of lost time by doing two organ system podcasts at the same time. Now, this was intentional uh, because the organ systems we're going to be covering are the stomach and the spleen. And these two organ systems are very often spoken about together. Now, there's reasons to separate them, and we will talk about some things that are different about them. Uh, but very often, if you if you pick up any random general Chinese medicine book, you will see both of these organ systems talked about at the same time. And we'll talk about uh, why that is. So we're going to start out uh, with the stomach, and that's because it's first in the cycle of, of organ systems that we've been talking about on the organ clock. So the last one that I did was the large intestine and the next one on that wheel. And again, you can look at the show notes and, and go back and look at the, the overarching imagery to get a sense of what the organ clock looks like. And you'll see that right there after the large intestine uh, is the stomach and then next is the spleen. And we're leading all the way up. So right now we're kind of on the the left side of the clock swinging up towards the summer solstice, uh, which will be the next one uh, with the heart. So we'll start out with the stomach, but again, we're going to talk about both at the same time because they are so closely united. So the stomach, which is called whey, uh, this is one that we know pretty well, right? Like everybody knows something about the stomach. Uh, in Chinese medicine, to be honest, uh, it, it is one of the yang organ systems, which I've talked about many times. So it's a hollow organ system, which means that it, it sort of transports things. It's meant to be empty and move things through. The, the, those yang organ systems are more moving. They're, um, and they're also less talked about. And part of that is because the yin organ systems, those are the ones that sort of store things and they're they're more uh, central in a way. It's almost like you can take more damage to a yin organ system, or sorry, to a yang organ system than a yin organ system. And so those yin organ systems, because they, they're like, they store things, they hold things, they protect things that are vital. And so, uh, so they were just talked about more. That's, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, but that does not mean that the yang organ systems are not important. It simply means that they're discussed a little bit less. Uh, in the context of, of the literature. So, so the stomach is, uh, like I said, it's called Wei in Chinese, and you can see the character in the show notes. Um, and you know, its main function is exactly what we think of as being its main function. It, it takes in the food that we eat. Um, but you know, as, as we've talked about with all these organ systems, they have kind of larger symbolic information associated with them. And we can even look at them uh, metaphorically, I, I hesitate to use that word um, because that implies that it's not uh, real. You know, when we talk about metaphor very often, um, you know, it, there's an implication there that, that what we're saying is not exactly as real as the other information, and that's not the case here. What I mean is if we look at the stomach almost as a symbol in and of itself, now, now again, as we talked about way at the beginning of this series, what is a symbol? A symbol is, is something that points towards something else, right? So uh, the classic example I like to bring up is the Nike swoosh, right? That, that symbol means nothing, 
right? It, it is nothing, but it points to something else. And they used it because it has a certain energy to it. And now it's associated with a whole range of things, you know, athletics, just do it, right? All this kind of thing. So our human, human brains, we, we work a lot on, on symbols. And so if we look at the stomach itself as a, as a symbol, we can think of not just the sack that holds food, but kind of the whole system that takes food in, right? So the mouth, the esophagus leading down to the stomach, and even to some extent, the connection all the way through to the large intestine and out of our bodies, right? So uh, sometimes this whole range of functions is called in Chinese medicine, the stomach domain. Um, but we can also think be even beyond that, going a little bit more symbolically about the taking in of other things. So the stomach is also what gives us our appetite for um, many other things, including sexuality, including the taking in beauty, like look, going out in nature. When you, when you go out in nature in the spring, which this organ system is associated with the spring to some extent, uh, you know, that beauty, just when you're, you feel like your eyes can't open wide enough to take it all in, right? So that kind of appetite and even appetites, um, for, for say any kind of activity, right? So, so the stomach has something to do with our desire to take in things of the world of all kinds. And so the stomach actually is, is, this is not something that most practitioners do, but for me personally, I actually use the stomach to treat certain types of depression, uh, where, where you just don't want to take anything in. You just want to sit at home and you don't, you know, you're not, you're not that into anything. And it's, it's really, you know, it's less of a depression that I think we would think of as being associated with, um, a chemical imbalance, quote unquote, and more the kind of depression that really just comes from a deep fatigue, right? Um, so when, when, when really what's primary is just that we're extremely tired and therefore we're kind of depressed, if that makes sense. That probably makes sense to some of you out there. Um, right. So let's talk really quick about the acupuncture channel uh, associated with the stomach. So this is a pretty long one. It's actually the second longest primary ch- channel. It's 45 points. Um, and it, the first point in the channel is on the face just below the eye. So it starts there on the face. Um, then it travels down. The, so it's kind of in the sinuses there. And then it travels down, uh, to the jaw, goes up on the head, just inside the hairline. And then it descends down to the throat and goes out along the collarbone. And from there, it dives down through the chest, through the nipple, actually, and then kind of goes a little bit more medially toward the, medially towards the midline, uh, to travel along, uh, you know, it actually goes near the stomach itself. Um, and then, and then travels along basically around the belly button. Um, and remember, all these primary channels that we talk about here, they're bilateral, right? So there's one on the left side and one on the right side. So, so at some point, right around your belly button, you know, just inches on either side of the belly button are two, two channels, um, both the stomach channel. Um, and then from there, it goes down to the inguinal region and then moves out lateral onto the midline of the leg. And then, so it goes through the thigh and then it goes kind of down on that line. And again, you can go to the show notes and go to the main page for this podcast to read more. Uh, and see an actual drawing from the main acupuncture, most popular acupuncture textbook in English uh, called Dead, which we just refer to as Deadman. Um, and you'll see kind of the line it, it rolls down. So it, it goes down kind of the outer edge of the thigh and then intersects the kneecap and then goes down along the, along the shin 
and uh, all the way down to the ankle, kind of the front, almost the middle of the ankle. Um, there's a great big tendon there in your ankle, and it's just just on the edge of that. And then down along the foot, and it travels out between the second and third toes and terminates on the lateral, so the outside edge of the toenail of the second toe. Um, so just like all the other acupuncture channels, uh, primary channels anyway, um, the, the stomach channel uh, can be used to treat pain along its course, right? So the stomach channel can be used for all kinds of things, but one of the things that all the channels do is treat pain in those local areas. Um, so it, it, and I would say in the stomach channels case, it's particularly good uh, at treating clavicle pain, uh, pain in the, in the chest and especially in the pec, the pec there, um, breast pain as well, and then uh, thigh and ankle pain. Uh, so the phase elements, so remember there's five phase elements, and uh, the phase element associated with earth is, or sorry, uh, with, the, with the stomach and the spleen um, is earth. And so both of these organ systems together, so this is one of the reasons they're talked about together, but they're talked about together even more so than other pairs. Uh, so, so the stomach and spleen are earth, and so earth uh, is sometimes uh, depicted as being related to late summer, so sort of like harvest season, early harvest season. Um, and sometimes it's talked about as being sort of the transition element between seasons. Um, regardless, earth, when we think about earth, don't just think of dirt. Think of rich soil from your garden. Okay. So this is, you know, this is the, um, the, nur the nourishing soil of our bodies. It's where, where the crops of our bodies are grown in a way. Um, so you can think of your, uh, the microbiome of your gut, you know, kind of the soil of your digestive system. Um, you know, so, so it, it has to do with nourishment. It has to do with this kind of flourishing, growing energy, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, earth is also related to worry. So all of the phase elements are related to a certain emotion. And earth is related to, to worry or rumination. So the tendency to kind of overthink, to, to turn over things over and over and over and over again in your mind. Um, many of us have this, right? It's a kind of anxiety. Um, where we're just constantly chewing our cud about an issue and kind of can't let it go and, and, um, let it sort of dominate our consciousness. And, you know, if you really think about, uh, like, let's just think of anything. I mean, I don't want you to cause yourself stress, but any kind of situation that has come up recently, whether it's a world situation or a personal situation, a health situation, where you just, you couldn't stop thinking about it. You, you know, you go to sleep, you're thinking about it. You wake up, you're thinking about it. That kind of rumination, which is the root of so much anxiety, um, that is something that is both treated, can be treated through the spleen, um, and perhaps more importantly, if we kind of allow ourselves to indulge in that too much, it can, it can damage the spleen. So, uh, and the stomach to some extent, although we talk about it more as damaging the spleen, even though they're both earth uh, phase elements. 
Uh, then we'll move on to the six confirmations. So again, uh, so we've got five phase elements, and then we've got what's called the six confirmations. And the six confirmation. So just like the five, you know, we started. We've started out talking about the twelve organ systems, right? So that's dividing the whole body and all of its functions into twelve pieces. Then with the five phase elements, we're dividing the all the body and all its functions into five pieces. And here with the six confirmations, we're taking the body and all its functions and dividing it into six pieces. So this is just um, this is one of those unique things in Chinese medicine. And where there's a way, different ways, kind of different lenses you can use to look at the body. We're looking at all the structures and functions of the body, including emotional functions, including spiritual functions, including structures, including you know chemical functions, all of these kinds of things. And we're dividing them into different pieces and using those different lenses to understand and work with the body in different ways. So the six confirmations is sort of my favorite. It's the one that you know I was taught the most by my teacher. Uh, and in the six confirmations, the stomach is related to Yang Ming, which is w- what we just talked about with the large intestine. So I'm not going to go over that too much because you can listen to that um, that podcast if you want to know more. Um, but Yang Ming is sort of a, uh, a, s- a kind of strong, aggressive force in the body. It's it's uh, about brightness. It's about you know the noon sun, the high summer sun. It's about um, you know, it has an explosive quality to it. And, you know, so if you think of the highest fever you've ever had, that was probably a Yang Ming type of a fever. So it, it you know, it's, it's an, a more aggressive uh, confirmation. It's, you know, as a Yang confirmation, it's kind of more on the surface of the body. The symptoms that it shows are, are loud. They're on the surface. Um, and it can have mental emotional aspects to it too. So kind of manic type of, um, experiences are associated with Yang Ming. So, you know, large intestine and stomach can both be the genesis and the treatment of these types of symptoms. Uh, in the case of the stomach, I think a lot about um, having, you know, kind of a, a really big appetite to the point where you're kind of stuffing yourself, all, you know, all the time. Um, and especially if we kind of using food as a way um, to quash down uh, that kind of worried anxiety that can be treated through the stomach. Um, you know, also just, just a tendency to overconsumption. So addiction, right? So addiction to alcohol, let's say, um, that tendency to kind of where our eyes are bigger than our stomach, right? Where we think that we can drink X number of drinks and then we quickly find out that we cannot, or at least we should not. Um, so that type of behavior, uh, can be associated with Yang Ming. And again, by that same, that same token, uh, we can treat the effects of this. So one of the main organ systems we use when we're treating terrible hangovers um, are large intestine and stomach. So, so that's an interesting uh, side note. And again, I, I talk a little bit more about Yang Ming in the large intestine uh, organ system podcast. So uh, you can check that out as well. And as with all the organ systems, uh, I, ha- I talk about the, the text, the ancient text called the Huang Di Nei Jing, the Yellow Emperor's classic of, uh, inner, internal medicine or has many different translations. Um, and there's a special chapter, chapter eight, that goes through all of the organ systems and, and, and relates their function to special officials or basically parts of government. Um, which was a very common type of symbolic representation that was used in, in China at this time. Um, so in chapter eight, this is one of the places where spleen and stomach are talked about at the same time. So, 
Um, so the, the translation, uh, which I'm using is by a person named Paul Unschuld, who's a, uh, eminent translator of Chinese medical texts. And, uh, in his latest translation of the Neijing, he says, the spleen and stomach are the officials responsible for grain storage. The five flavors originate from them. So again, here, this is interesting, right? So we're talking about spleen and stomach, and this is very clearly like a digestive type of representation here, right? So grain storage, the storage of grains, which as a representative of food in general. So whether you eat grains or not, or you enjoy grains or not, um, they have been a very important staple food for human beings for a long time, and especially in big civilizations, right? Um, you know, there's some some... People would say that actually the growing and storage of cereal grains was sort of what allowed our civilizations to flourish to the extent that they have. Um, so that's something we can think about. So the spleen and stomach are sort of the part of our body that allows for the storage of this very important foodstuff, which becomes kind of the center of the flourishing of our body. So it's not really just about grains, but just food in general and the ability to, to store and process that. The five flavors is an interesting thing. It's probably a bit too much for us to go deeply into in this podcast. Uh, it's interesting as a practitioner, um, but just think of the five flavors, right? So when we're eating food, that's um, we're tasting those five flavors. The spleen and stomach are uh, do help our capacity to taste and to experience and maybe to enjoy food. Um, five flavors we can also think of as sort of... Uh, it's not just the taste of the food, but in a way almost the representative of the nutrition that comes from our food. So when our body breaks down food, in a way we might think of it as breaking it down into those flavors because flavors are really caused, you know, we know now, are caused by different types of chemical components, you know, which are the, the result of the breakdown of, of food, um, although in the mouth. So, so in a way, this might be pointing towards um, not just the consumption of food, but the digestion and assimilation of food. Um, but we, we'll, we'll kind of pass that, pass that by for now. But spleen and stomach, uh, associated with grain storage, associated with the five flavors. Um, so the central storehouse of the body is the spleen and the stomach, according to the Neijing. Now we're going to go to that organ clock, the 12 piece organ clock. Again, like I said, we're on that up, the upswing on the, on the left side of the clock. We're going up towards the summer solstice. We're getting pretty close to it. Uh, stomach first, then spleen. So the stomach on the organ clock is related to seven to nine a.m. And, you know, this is full morning, right? So whether you're a morning person or not, from 7 to 9 a.m., for sure it's getting light out, and most people are getting up, they're, you know, getting their kids to, to school, you're, you're eating breakfast, you're drinking your coffee, you're, um, you know, you're getting moving. Maybe you're doing some exercise, uh, you might be getting in your car and, and driving or getting out on the river walk and walking uh, to work. You know, it's a very active um, part of the day, and even if you're kind of a later waker, uh, very likely kind of things really get up and moving around this time. And, you know, again, this is the time when most of us eat our breakfast, if we eat breakfast. And so it makes some sense that it's associated with the stomach. Um, you'll see as I talk about the rest of the symbols associated with the organ clock, including the month and the um, zodiac animal, 
that this is all, you know, these, all of these organ clock pieces, they're, they're like layers that lay on top of each other. So they all kind of resonate with each other to some extent. Um, they, they, they all bear similar energy, right? So the 7 to 9 a.m., this morning time, the sights and smells of the world coming awake, um, that's similar to April, right? So the organ clock month that I associate here with the, with the stomach is April. Now, April on the North Coast, let's be entirely honest, is still pretty cold and wet. Um, but in most places, and even to some extent here, um, we do start to get longer days, right? We get lighter days. It's getting a little bit warmer. Um, you know, we're start, we're starting to head in that direction and some years more than others, some places more than others, all the way down in, you know, southern Arizona. Of course, April is quite warm. Um, whereas way up here in, in northern Oregon, uh, on the coast, it's maybe a little colder, but still the, the general vibe of it is that we're, we're reaching towards summer solstice. It's getting warmer. And again, just like 7 to 9 a.m., things are moving, right? Insects are out. The migratory birds start to arrive. Uh, you know, there's nesting activity. There might be mating activity. Flowers start to come out, right? So this is, it, the world is waking up, right? It's waking up from its slumber, just like 7 to 9 a.m. We're waking up from our slumber. Um, and the organ clock uh, is associated with zodiac animals um, through the earthly branches. And the organ clock uh, zodiac animal associated with the stomach is the dragon. Uh, so again, think, think of the dragon, right? So in, and most of you probably know that in China, dragon looks a little bit different. It looks a little bit more like a snake. It has a long, a long body. It's often depicted, uh, uh in the clouds, flying through the clouds, chasing a pearl. Um, but just like in kind of more Western iconography, the dragon is a powerful animal. It's an animal of great strength, right? It's, it's an animal to some extent to be feared, although I think in Chinese uh, cosmology, it's maybe a little bit more benevolent. It has a little bit more of a, a positive uh, energy to it. Uh, but but nonetheless, it's a powerful animal. And so that, that makes me think a lot about Yang Ming, right? Like that big, strong, explosive power that we were just talking about. And that's, you know, embodied by the stomach. And you can think of a dragon as having a great appetite, right? We think of the dragon as having this great hoard of resources. So again, that's like the central storehouse, right? It's, it's protecting these resources. It's taking them in. In, you know, in Western iconography, it has, it has gr a great appetite for, for gold, for riches for for valuable things and so that we can think about the stomach that way you know it's it's what makes us open our eyes wide and say yes i want that you know it's kind of a greedy organ system um so it has it has it has that energy to it and again like you know it has that explosive energy big big movement just like April, just like the hours of 7 to 9 a.m., right? So there's all this movement, all this activity, all this opening up, all this flourishing of the world. So that's, that's the stomach. Uh, now the spleen is in many ways, you know, has a, shares a lot of elements with this, right? So um, I do want to say uh, that the spleen, um, so in, in biomedicine, the stomach, a lot of what I just said, I'll, I mean, you know, you're not going to go to your MD and talk to them about symbols necessarily, but, but just like the, um, just, just like the stomach is, you know, sort of a more well-known, like if you go and talk to your, 
biomedical doctor or your nurse practitioner or whatever about the stomach, more or less, they're, they're going to say some similar stuff, right? They're going to have maybe some different things to say, but, you know, they're going to talk about food. They're going to talk about nutrition. They're going to talk about taking things in. They're going to, you know, it's, it, it's not that unfamiliar. And even if you talk to them about things like um, earth, you know, when I've talked to medical doctors or, you know, people who are in school uh, for that kind of medicine, there, there's a certain way that they can understand it. Like when I talk to them about like, oh, earth is about the fields, you know, where we grow our food. And that's just, you know, they can kind of, they can kind of get it. The spleen is a little different. So in biomedicine, um, the spleen is, is not an organ that's really, I mean, most of you, probably many of you don't really know where your spleen is entirely. Um, it's, it's on the left side of the body, kind of tucked up under the ribs there. It's near the stomach, so that's interesting, right? Um, sometimes it, when we talk about the spleen from a Chinese medicine point of view, we'll call it spleen pancreas. So that's, that's again, probably too long a story for this podcast, but, you know, the anatomical knowledge of the ancient Chinese was different than our anatomic anatomical knowledge now. And because we're using translations, not just from another language into English, but from, a, you know, the equivalent of old English to people who are English speakers, right? It's an ancient form of Chinese that even modern Chinese speakers are often not familiar with. And so we're, we're translating through time, sometimes thousands of years, um, and at the, at the least many hundreds of years. And so, you know, there's, there's, so the anatomical knowledge was different. Obviously, they were using different tools and different methodologies to understand the body. And then on top of it, when we read their records of their already different knowledge, we're translating it from a language that is far distant. Um, so it's sometimes difficult to know exactly what they were talking about. And so over time, as we translate more texts and as more scholars pour over this information, they understand more and more. So whether this is just the spleen, this organ on the left side of the body, or it includes the pancreas, it's, it's harder to say. But, the, but the, the point of it really is that it has a digestive aspect to it. And that is different uh, than the biomedical understanding of the spleen. In Western biomedicine, uh, the spleen is mostly associated with certain immune functions and uh, also blood filtration that removes, uh, helps to, helps to keep the blood kind of clean and healthy. And so those two functions are mostly associated with the spleen. Um, it's an important organ, but not something that's talked about a lot. It doesn't have a ton of diseases associated with it. Um, it, you know, can, it can ultimately be removed or at least Parts of it can be removed. So it's one of those organ systems, sort of like the gallbladder, that it's kind of like, yeah, you need it, but do you totally need it? You know, we can, we can make up for the fact that it's damaged, um, to, to a certain extent, which is a little different than organs like the heart or the lungs, right? Which, yes, you can lose a part of the lung and still have function, but it's, it's more challenging. So I'm not saying that Western medicine thinks it's unimportant. I'm just saying that it's, it's de-emphasized, I would say, if we look at all the organ systems in the body. Uh, in Chinese medicine, the spleen is, and I, I mean this in many ways, central. Um, the, the spleen is, you know, if, if I were to say, what are, out of the 12 organ systems, what are the top three? I would say heart, kidney, and spleen, probably. Um, Different doctor, different practitioners would say different things, but but the point is that the spleen is is 
is definitely looked at as extremely important. And while it does share um, the immune aspects that, that biomedicine talks about, really the spleen is more involved in digestion, assimilation, uh, and the production of qi. So, so it's interesting. You know, it's, it's one of those things that as a Chinese medicine practitioner who, who first of all, I, my, my initial training long before I went to school for Chinese medicine was in, in, uh, not in medical sciences, but was in Western science. And of course, I grew up in the United States of America. I went to, you know, norm, like schools. I didn't go to like Chinese medicine school for my elementary school education. So I learned the body just like anybody, anybody else. And, and so it's interesting for me now. Of course, now I've been practicing this for almost 15 years. So it's very natural to me, but it's a very interesting thing to learn. You know, when, when you've learned about the body in one way for a long time and then you're being asked to think about it in a different way, it can be challenging. So, um, so, you know, an organ system like the lung is maybe a little less challenging because it's talked about similarly, but you know, just like with the triple burner, which we've already talked about, which is an organ system that doesn't even exist in, in biomedicine, um, the spleen being talked about so differently um, can be uh, a little challenging. So, so I just want to acknowledge that. Um, so again, in Chinese medicine, uh, some of the major functions for the spleen are processing of food and fluids, getting nutrition out of that and turning it into our bodies. Um, balancing dampness and dryness. That's a big thing that the spleen does in Chinese medicine. So, um, it helps, you know, prevent things such as edema, uh, being a, a very overt example of that. Um, it's, it's centrally involved in qi and production of qi and getting the qi out to the extremities. Um, and, and like I said, it does work with other organ systems to help produce immune, immune function in our bodies. And one of the interesting things about the spleen, and this is where it is again related to some extent to the Western function, is that it, it's said that the spleen helps to keep the blood in the vessels. So yeah, you know, that's somewhat associated with what we know about the spleen biomedically. Um, but it, what that means in a Chinese medicine context, and I'm, I'm kind of summarizing here, is that it kind of ensures that the blood sort of viscosity and the blood vessel integrity are, are all optimal and that the body doesn't have a tendency to uh, bleed when it shouldn't, um, such as excessive bruising, such as excessive nosebleeds, and even to some extent, ex excessive menstrual bleeding. So interesting. Uh, the spleen acupuncture channel is a shorter one. Uh, it has 21 points, uh, which is kind of like in the middle, um, not the shortest, not the longest. Um, and it, so you'll remember the stomach, it, it goes kind of up the outside of the leg, and the spleen channel runs the inside of the leg. So it starts out on the big toe, on the inside corner of the big toenail, and then it goes up along the inside of the foot, kind of the soft part of the foot, part of the arch kind of. And then it goes um, up onto the ankle and up sort of, if you, if you look at the inside of your leg and you see the big kind of bone that forms your shin, and then you feel the Achilles, kind of the spleen runs right in the middle of those two areas. Then it goes up to the knee, up into the inner thigh, goes up to the inguinal region, and then it sort of dives out to the sort of the edge so it runs outside of the stomach channel remember the stomach channel is kind of and remember they're bilateral so the stomach channel kind of runs pretty close to the belly button and the stomach channel is outside of that by by a couple inches so the stomach channel runs up uh, onto the abdomen 
and then uh, up onto the chest. It goes kind of to the outer side of the pectoral muscles, um, up sort of into the armpit region, and then ends in the um, on the rib side, basically, uh, in this what we call the seventh intercostal space. And if you feel around, if you think of kind of the midline of your body, sort of, if you were to go up into your armpit and kind of find the halfway point uh, along the side of your body and, and go down on your ribs and press hard on your ribs, uh, you'll find a tender point at some point, and some people find several, but um, it's it's pretty pretty overt, especially if you have any spleen issues. So um, anyway, there's again, there's a picture. Uh, the links are in the show notes, and you can you can look at look look at where the spleen channel is if you're interested. Now we just talked about the phase element Earth, right? So again, we're getting into the symbolic information associated with this organ system. Phase element Earth, we just talked all about that, right? So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repeat all that stuff. Uh, but again, just think of rich, fertile, fertile fields um, where we where we plant and grow food. Um, that's Earth, and you know, again, or the Yin organ system. So the spleen is one of the Yin organ systems. Um, they're talked about a bit more, and so the spleen is kind of the representative of Earth. In fact, in some texts, they don't say Earth, they just say spleen, So, and, and vice versa, actually. But anyway, so, so again, worry and rumination, all those things. So let's move on to the six confirmations. Now, now that we're moving on in this organ system series... There's, they can get a little bit shorter. Uh, probably some of you are like, thank, thank God. Um, but because we've already talked about the other, the other part of this. So in this case, the sixth confirmation associated with, uh, the spleen is the lung. And, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> is tie-in, which is associated with the lung. So you can go back to the lung organ system podcast, and I will link that in the show notes and listen to what I say about tie-in. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it briefly, but I'll talk, it, I talked about it more, uh, in that lung organ system podcast. Um, so, so really, you know, what, what, what unites the lung and the spleen? So this is, this is a place where the lung and the spleen come together. Um, really what I think about is immune function. So again, the spleen does have uh, aspects of the immune system, uh, associated with it and, especially kind of the maintenance of the immune system, um, and also to some extent the ability of the body to recognize what is and is not itself, right? Because the spleen through digestion is is in the business of creating self from not self, right? Creating our bodies from food. And so by, by that same kind of energy, uh, it can help our bodies recognize things that have come into it that are invaders, right? And especially, of course, in the digestion. So if we think about our microbiome and we think about our body's capacity to uh, break down our food and to recognize when something is there that shouldn't be there and to kick it out um, and to destroy it, that's, you know, that's a, a part of our immune function that I think a lot of us don't think about. And, and so that and then we all, most of us know that the microbiome does have something to do with our, lar- our greater immune function. 
so, so that's, that's all tie-in. That's the relationship of the lung and the spleen. Also, qi production. So qi, this is one of these mysterious things that many people who are even inside Chinese medicine don't really understand what qi is. Um, it's one of those words that I just prefer not to translate, and most people prefer not to translate, because it doesn't really translate very well into English. Um, is it energy? Sure. But, you know, what, is, what does energy mean? That's a very vague word. Um, you know, it's in some ways, qi is what forms everything that we see and everything that we feel in the entire world, including your computer, the floor under your feet, the Canada geese out in the, the field across from me, you know, the ocean, the wind, the sun, everything. So qi is kind of the stuff of the universe. You know, so is it matter? Is it energy? Is it the transition between energy and matter? No, nobody, nobody really knows. But in the body, what we do know is that it's kind of the functional energy of the body, um, and it has different manifestations, right? So it it has, um, depending on what system it's in, depending on what layer of the body it's in, depending on what we're talking about, it it that concept of chi can change to suit our discussions. But it's what kind of gives function function to the body as opposed to to structure is mostly when we talk talk about chi and the lung is sort of the what we it's it's a major distributor of chi through the entire body and the spleen has those functions as well the spleen is a little bit more about kind of the creation of chi and the lung a little bit more about the distribution of chi um, but the spleen also is uh, often said to distribute chi to the extremities. So it, it does that as well. So, so that's kind of some of the, um, and then also I will say tai yin also has a lot to do with uh, the balance of, of fluid in the body. So that, that dampness function we were just talking about with the spleen, well, you know, the lung to some extent does that too. And so uh, both lung and spleen has some, place some part uh, in the balance of, of dryness and dampness. Uh, so again, going back to the Huangdi Neijing, the inner, uh, the Yellow Emperor's classic of medicine, uh, chapter eight, as I just talked about, uh, spleen and stomach are united in that text. Uh, and so everything I just said about stomach applies to the spleen. So I don't, don't need to go over that again, but feel free to rewind if you've forgotten what I was, what I said. Um, but now let's move forward, um, into the organ clock information. So, so we're, we're just going along the clock. We just talked about stomach, right? 7 to 9 a.m. And now uh, the spleen is 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. So this is morning, right? This is late morning, right? So we, we, we are kind of continuing the story that we were already telling. So increasing activity, increasing movement, uh, increasing uh, openness to and embrace of of life and daytime and, and, and what, what we're up to. We've already eaten our breakfast. Our bodies are breaking that food down and, uh, making, you know, assimilating that nutrition into our bodies, um, sending the nutrients out to where they need to be utilized. And, you know, at this time by nine to 11, you should really kind of be at peak energy, really. Like this is, this is the time when you should be raring to go, right? You're, at work or you're at school or you're out in your garden or you know you're doing stuff like this is this is prime time for us to be 
really, really getting going. And really, you should not feel tired at this time. And if you do, if you do feel quite tired and run down around this time, definitely the spleen is something to work on. Um, so, you know, the proper functioning of our bodies around this time is perhaps reliant on the spleen's capacity to digest and assimilate nutrients. So that's something to, to think about. And again, uh, thinking about the month, um, so we were just talking about April when we were talking about the stomach, and now we're talking about May. So, um, so May is, again, we're just continuing the conversation, right? So May is definitely spring, right? Even on the North Coast, you can't deny it. Um, do you sometimes have a, a storm or two or a cold day? Sure. But the, mostly we're having warm days and boy, oh boy, do the flowers start, right? So we've got the rhododendrons going. We've got the azaleas going. Maybe there's some tulips going on. Maybe some, even the very first bits of iris are starting to come out. Um, the, Pelicans come back, right? The, we have all, we have all of this, like, just flourishing, teeming life begins. And, uh, we do start to have some really nice warm days. Uh, so, you know, so that's, again, this is like, this is life. This is, um, activity. This is, um, the flourishing of, 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 of life. Yeah. Like I just said. And so, um, just like I just said, if you're feeling quite tired, and don't really want to do anything from 9 to 11, um, it's kind of the same thing as not having much energy in May, right? Most of us feel a surge of energy in spring, almost to the point of irritation, right? This is very often in early May, I have people coming in saying, I am so angry and irritable all the time. And it's partly because of this this upwelling of energy and your body's not quite ready. Like it hasn't quite thrown off all the all the detritus uh, from from the previous season. And so um, so there's definitely this, uh, you know, you should, you should, you should want to get up and go around this time. And if you don't, it might, the spleen might be an organ system to work on, stomach or spleen. And the organ clock, uh, the zodiac animal associated with the uh, spleen on the organ clock is the snake. So we've got the dragon and the snake. Um, snake is really interesting, right? So if we think about it as a symbol, um, it has a lot, like, I'm sure all of you are thinking of some s symbolism associated with the snake right now. Um, of course, there's the Garden of Eden, right? That's a, a classic uh, snake symbol with a negative connotation, right? And very commonly in, in, ma in many, but not all cultures, there is a negative connotation to the spleen, um, which is unfortunate because snakes are wonderful. And they, you know, they, they do all kinds of wonderful things, including pest control. And mostly they just want to be left alone. Um, but aside from these ecological functions, um, we can think of the spleen, often the spleen as a symbol, um, is a symbol of transformation, right? They shed their skin, etc. Um, so, so that's kind of the energy I think it brings to, to the spleen here is it's really the spleen is about transformation. It's about the transformation of food into our bodies. It's about the transformation of spring into summer. You know, it's, it's about the transformation of morning into midday. It's, you know, it's, it's this capacity to, um, take things and turn them into something else. Um, so, and the snake's very flexible, right? And that's a, that transformational capacity is a, a type of flexibility. And so that flexibility, if, if people are really feeling really rigid and they, they're kind of stuck in a pattern, uh, the spleen can be something that, that, 
that might help them, uh, working with the spleen might help them uh, to get past that uh, and kind of flourish in, in a new way. Um, also, I will say the snake is often associated, or uh, the spleen is, uh, does have something to do with gyneco- gynecology and a lot to do with gynecology, actually. And uh, even giving birth and um, especially uh, nursing. So uh, the spleen is something I often work on um, with people when I'm working on fertility um, or if somebody's having insufficient lactation and they want to uh, feed their baby, that the spleen can be something to work on with that. And that, you know, if we think of the, the power, uh, sometimes my teacher, Heiner Fruhoff, would talk about, you know, that snakes, we all know that snakes can eat things that are much larger. They can kind of stretch their bodies out. And that's that birthing power. Um, and also think of, you know, birth, if you've been through, uh, if you've been a person who has given birth, uh, it does take some stamina, <laughs> you know, and it takes some ability to, to, you know, really, really stick with the process. Not that you have much choice once it gets going, but the the point being that that stamina and the capacity to get to get through that that comes at least in part from the spleen. Um, it does come from other organ systems as well. But one of the things when when a person comes in and they want help with fertility, or if they don't want help with fertility but they are going to be getting pregnant at some point and they want to have a child. Uh, the spleen, if their spleen is extremely weak, it is the very first thing I start working on. Um, even before other organ systems that are associated with that, like the liver. Because if you don't have the, if you don't have the, first of all, if your body is not good at extracting nutrition from food and you are malnourished, you're not going to be able to nourish a fetus very well, right? Or if you do nourish a fetus, you are likely to have problems afterwards, right? Be very weak and tired. Um, and that's really ma- mainly it, but then also the, the actual stamina to get through, um, to get through the birthing process. So, so those are some things associated with the, the, the spleen. Um, and together, you know, when we talk about spleen and stomach, if you ever hear a Chinese medicine practitioner talking about spleen and stomach, they're most likely, mostly talking about the digestive function. Um, and there's actually a whole school, a whole kind of uh, historical school. And when I say school, I mean sort of like a tradition or a, not like a building or a, you know, institution, but more like a, a lineage or a way of looking at something uh, called the spleen and stomach school. And it, it's, it's still tremendously um, influential, um, which is looks at the spleen and stomach and says, hey, look. Are, are, first of all, the spleen and stomach are thought to be the center of the body. And if you think about them, they, you know, they're kind of to the left of the abdomen, but they, if you, especially if you add the pancreas, you know, then yeah, it's kind of the center of the body. It's certainly the center from top to bottom for most of us, depending on how we're shaped. Um, but more importantly, energetically, it's central because if you cannot eat and assimilate and, you know, if you cannot eat, and digest and assimilate and then eliminate food, you are in trouble, right? Um, it's and and you have to think also uh, about China historically being uh, having population booms. I mean, they've they've been having recorded history and uh, 
sort of transformation and development of civilization for a very long time. And there's been big famines, you know, and then also big successes in terms of agriculture and in terms of centralization um, and food distribution and these types of things. And so it's something that the, the ancient Chinese thought a lot about and they saw very, um, very often the, the effect of either having plenty of food or not having enough food. And so it was really kind of a central theme uh, that, that happened uh, throughout the history of the development of Chinese medicine. And, and just, you know, because the digestion and because the spleen and the stomach, I will say, are centrally involved in qi production and qi is so important for the proper functioning of the body, it makes sense that, you know, there would be a whole school that's just about the spleen and the stomach. And just thinking empirically and practically, um, I can, I can even say, even though I don't consider myself part of that school, that very often, uh, with all kinds of people, um, not so much with pain, I will say, but any kind of internal medicine disorder, no matter what organ system it's related to, if I'm kind of confused or if I'm not making much progress, if I just return and work on the spleen and stomach, I'm always shocked with how well it works. And so, you know, regardless of why that developed or what its validity is, uh, the truth of the matter is the spleen and stomach as a pair are an incredibly powerful uh center for working on all kinds of problems. So, so that's, I, I managed to keep two organ systems under an hour. So, you know, it, there's plenty more we could talk about here. Um, do look in the show notes and you'll see links to a bunch of different pages where you can learn more about these different symbols. If you do have questions, you can always go to our contact form on our website or just shoot me an email at eric at watershedwellnesshistoria.com. And I'm always happy to, to answer any questions um, and even record an extra little podcast um, if I get enough of those questions. Um, but I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you have a great day. Thank you.